0: What is Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host.
1: You may be familiar with the famous phrase from... St. Augustine, of course, he has many things that he's famous for. But this one phrase, one of my favorites, is when he said of the Lord, O ancient yet so new, how late have I known thee. He, of course, was referring to the fact that he came to conversion after a number of years of a decadent life, came to conversion to God and became a powerful, incredible father of the church. And he was lamenting about how magnificent, how beautiful, ancient, timeless God is and God's goodness, his glory. Yet he only came into that awareness so recently instead of his whole life. A profound statement, but one that I think can be applied to the Eastern Catholic churches. We are ancient yet new. What I'd like to do today is to present to you some of the aspects of the Eastern Catholic Churches, which I think are very, very relevant today. They're kind of an answer, I think, for a lot of the yearning in our world today, a lot of the chaos. You know, so many people are not grounded anymore. It's like they have no no foundation under them. That's why there's so much anxiety. Have you noticed that? Everybody, especially young people, are suffering from anxiety. They always say, I have anxiety, anxiety, fear, anxiety, and so on. It's because they feel rootless, like the ground has been taken out from under them. They have no place to land, you know, to to put their feet to be rooted. They have no home base and also no north star to to guide their way. They don't know what to stand on, and they don't know what direction to go in. That's because of the ways of the world today, and also because of our personal shortcomings from sin, which is why the church is so valuable to us. And yet the Eastern churches supply that root. They supply that foundation. They are ancient yet new. And that's the example of a point we talk about a lot in this program. What I think is the genius of the Eastern churches is living in the both and, a big secret to life, that something can be this and that all at the same time, not either or. So we can be ancient, yet we can be so new, relevant. In other words, timeless treasures, the timeless dimensions what I believe belong to the Eastern Catholic churches. Now, it is in the Western church as well. It's just that I'm presenting the particular treasures of the Eastern churches on our program. But that's how the church is. The church as a whole, East and West, is ancient yet new. We just have to understand that. It's like a myth people have today that, oh, if something isn't new, contemporary now, or renewed, that it has no value. Yet, at the same time, we're living in a time when we've rediscovered the fathers of the church, which are ancient. They go back many centuries. Many, many Protestant converts to Catholicism or even to the Orthodox churches came by way of their discovery of the fathers of the church, way back in the fourth century, the first centuries of the church. And this is how the church is overall. Now, for The Eastern churches, and why I say they are relevant, is because there are certain characteristics of them that will fill in this hole, this lack of foundation in our world today. In other words, the Eastern churches are ancient, yet they are new, and I would say, I would use the term interchangeably, new and relevant, or current, or even urgent. Let's look at some of those characteristics. The first one is, as I mentioned, the fact that we are ancient, yet so new. That something can have a timeless value to it. It doesn't have to be only a few years old or the latest out there. You know, the cutting edge. We we tend to always look at something that's brand new or cutting edge as valuable, and anything before that is not. The Eastern churches have a value that is, I use the word perennial. It's good for all times. Our liturgy doesn't change. It has evolved. It has developed. But it's not a major evolvement. It's not a revolutionary evolvement. It doesn't revolutionize. It evolves. But it also, in a sense, preserves a certain constant character. It has a certain consistency, which is good for all time. Somehow, it's the genius of the great saints that together with their knowledge of scripture and spirituality, bequeath to us a church that is timeless, a liturgy that is timeless. And that is a great gift and something that is relevant for us today. In other words, when we come to church, we have to understand that going to church is not about going to church. It's about immersing ourselves in a mystery that transforms us. It's about receiving the blueprint for life. A lot of times people say, oh, I don't get anything out of going to church. Well, we're not supposed to get something, although we do, we're supposed to be given, if anything, the blueprint for life. In other words, if you really look at the character, the charism, the foundation, the principles beneath everything of what's happening in the liturgy of the church, by that I mean not just Eucharist or the mass or the divine liturgy, I mean the whole liturgical prayer of the church, the divine office, the feast days, and so on. That's what I'm calling liturgy. I'm using it in a more broad way. The liturgy of the church informs all of life, and life informs the liturgy. It's as though the liturgy is the hub of the wheel, and life is the spokes that emanate out from that hub and also come back in towards that hub. That's what liturgy is, and especially liturgy that is ancient yet new, like we have in most Eastern Catholic churches. Another aspect that is relevant today and crucial, and I use those two words together, relevant and crucial, urgent today from the Eastern Catholic Churches is a sense of deference or transcendence, hierarchy. In other words, something that we defer to, in other words, we bow to, something greater than ourselves. This, I think, is one of the most critical lessons that the Eastern Catholic Churches in its liturgical life can give to us, because we're in a time now where we're laboring under this terrible idea that no one or nothing is greater than me. You see this a lot in in young people too. There's no one or nothing greater than me. It's just my feelings, what I'm entitled to, and we don't really bow to anything. We don't have this respect for authority no matter what. If you think authority is wrong, you don't sass back, you don't disrespect, you don't strike a police officer when they're stopping you for a speeding ticket. There's all kinds of things you just don't do that used to be known, and that was woven throughout all of culture and all the church until recent decades, when that seems to be lost. I would say it's one of the greatest needs that we have, and we experience it in the liturgy of the church. In the Eastern Catholic churches, first of all, They're designed and appointed, you know, decorated in a way that gives you a sense of being in another world. When you walk in Eastern Catholic churches, you already know by the hints of the architecture is different. Icons may be on the outside walls and give you a hint of what's going to be inside. But as you walk in, they kind of explode with this otherworldliness, And you know you're in a place in which you look and you feel awe. You feel a sense of awe. This place has something, represents something, helps me feel something, immerses me in something that is greater than me. And we come in and indeed we defer to it. Defer means you make the other thing more important than yourself. You make it about the other thing, well, in this case, the other person, and that is God. We come in the church and we bow. In the West, of course, they genuflect. It's the same idea. Either way, you go down. You put the head down. You dare not raise the eyes. Like a member of the publican in the gospel who was repentant. Remember that story, the publican and the Pharisee? The publican was justified because he wouldn't even lift his eyes to the temple. Stood in the back, beating his breast, asking forgiveness. That is the proper way to enter a church. Everything in the church is dedicated to give us that sense that reminder. You almost can't help it once you walk in. People get quiet. They look around. They're in awe. They, they sense that prayer. They sense that there's something greater here. And that is one of the most important lessons that we can learn and incorporate in our lives in this day and age, a time when nothing or no one is greater than me. So this sense of transcendence or hierarchy, it's kind of a verticality. There's the special place, that no one goes into except those authorized. That is the sanctuary and is set off by the icon screen, which is like a wall that goes from floor to ceiling, decorated with icons, but it has three doors on it, three sets of doors, and the clergy come in and out of those doors at certain points in the liturgy. Other than that, no one goes in there. In other words, this is the most sacred place. It's, It's a hierarchical kind of principle where this is first, this is top, this is next, this is next, this is next, etc. There's a certain verticality. Now, we're bothered by that in our world today because, again, we don't like to honor things greater than ourselves. We don't like to admit that or act like there is anything that much greater than ourselves. We live kind of on a horizontal plane, especially with words that are thrown around today that are, actually have a false meaning. In fact, there's, they're from very bad sources. Words like equity or equality. What do those words really mean? It's not about reducing everything and everybody down to the same level so that there's no sense of hierarchy, no sense that this is greater than that. But in the church, that is the principle that we encounter or are immersed in, that there is places you don't go. There is something that is holier and sacred, and therefore we defer to that. And that is the very structure of those different zones of the church, especially in Eastern churches, that go all the way back to the Old Testament temple that also have these kinds of zones in them. We'll come back when to talk more about the different ways that the characteristics of the Eastern Catholic churches and their liturgy are relevant and urgent for our time. So ancient yet so new. I'm Father Thomas Leah on
0: Light of the East every day. Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
2: I'm Dr. Peter Howard, founder of the Fulton Sheen Movement. On July 9th, join me and Father Tom Loya at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen for an historic rally to fan the flame of love and devotion to Venerable Fulton Sheen. We need Fulton Sheen's intercession and guidance now more than ever. We're gathering to pray for his cause, and especially for the Holy Spirit to move the church to set a new date for his beatification. Starting at 10 a.m., come and pray with us. Enjoy a delicious cookout and hear inspiring talks on Sheen by Father Loya and myself. Activities are planned for the whole family. Go to FultonSheenMovement.com for a complete schedule and to sign our global petition to unpause the cause of this great profit for our times. Co-sponsored by WFSI, this rally is your chance to make a difference. I'll see you all on July 9th. Bye now, and God love
0: you. I'm David Carollo, Executive Director of the World Apostle of Fatima USA. And you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
1: to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host, talking about the urgency and relevancy of what is ancient yet so new in Eastern Catholic churches. Now, when I say this, I don't mean that the Western churches don't have these things. You must always remember this program, If you're new to it or you've been listening to it for a long time, regardless of how long you've been with us, always remember one thing. This program is dedicated to unity in the church, which means we present with equal dignity, equal value, the riches of the Western lung of the church, in other words, the Latin right in particular, but also the Eastern churches, the Eastern lung, with, of course, a greater emphasis on the Eastern churches, because that's what we're promoting here. We're promoting the Eastern churches, but always in relation to our brethren in the West, so that we have this idea of unity, the riches of each other. But the riches of the Eastern liturgy that are relevant for today, in addition to what we've already talked about, is also a sense of boundary. Boundary is one of the most important things we can learn and practice in life boundaries have to be everywhere. Everything has a certain boundary to it. This is actually one of the key principles in preventing and being healed from being a victim of abuse, by the way. In fact, abusers, in whatever way, emotionally, physically, psychologically, sexually, and so on, people who are abusive have a boundary problem. They don't understand boundaries. They don't respect boundaries because they probably don't have healthy boundaries themselves. So, Whether it's a person or, in this case, the architecture of the church, the Eastern Catholic churches, a sense of boundary is actually an absolutely crucial to health. A boundary, a healthy boundary, is this. And think of a person. We all have our boundary. Sometimes we call it space, like you're in my space or get out of my space. Well, it's true. We do have a space that has a boundary on it. And that boundary, though, to be healthy has to have doors on it. So you can't have no boundaries, that's not healthy, because then you're open, vulnerable to being abused. You can't have a boundary that is totally solid, like a solid wall with no openings, because then you cannot really become relational, a relational being. You're not going to be an integrated social person. Healthy boundaries are ones in which there's a wall around us as a person, think of it that way, but there's doors on it. But here's the key, the doors work from the inside. They're controlled from us, from the person. The person controls who or what comes into their life, how long they do, how long they stay, and whether they come in or out at all. So it's a door that does let things in, experiences, people, information, so on, but that door is controlled by the person himself from the inside. Now, an example of that in the Eastern churches, is the grand wall that separates the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary, from the nave. It's called an iconostasis, or icon screen. And on that wall, as I mentioned earlier, is filled with icons, icons that face you. But this icon screen has a dual meaning, once again, it's the both-and principle. It means that the separation between heaven and earth is real, because while we're on this earth, we haven't reached heaven yet. Yet, Heaven that has met earth in the presence of God, in the incarnation of God, God among us through Jesus Christ. So the icon screen has these doors which keep people out. It's a boundary, except those authorized to go in and out of those doors. But it also reveals icons on the screen look out at you. And so they're coming from what's behind the screen, heaven. So we have this meeting point, this sort of confluence of heaven and earth symbolized by the icon screen. As I mentioned, only the authorized persons go in and out of the icon screen through the doors. The ordained ministers, in particular, go in and out of the middle doors. They're called the royal doors or the gates of heaven. Servers or anybody else does not go in and out of those doors. and go all the way back to the Old Testament temple. But again, those doors are controlled from the inside. In other words, people just don't come in there. They don't push past those doors and come in the sanctuary. No one comes in there. Only the priests, the ordained ministers, and the servers only at certain times for certain purposes during the services. And even the priests, even the authorized persons, don't come in and out of those doors at will. They do at their specific times for specific reasons. I want you to take that concept of this border— and I'm giving you a hint by the word border. Think of the border issue, the southern border of the United States, a big, hot issue in the previous election. You know, they say that, oh, well, President Trump wants to have a border along our southern border a wall and not let anybody in. And on the other hand, the other party, the current President Biden wants to have completely open borders where anyone can come in. Everyone's welcome. Well, neither one is healthy. And by the way, there was a misrepresentation of the wall or the border that President Trump was proposing. And I say this just for the sake of truth. I'm not talking about any kind of political party trying to promote anybody. It goes with our point here about the border, healthy borders. The wall that President Trump was putting on the southern border had doors on it, which means it wasn't going to keep everybody out completely. It was going to control in a healthy way the entrance into our country, as borders are supposed to do for any country. So, too, in the church, the borders have doors on them, the icon screen. That's the same way, the same feature that was in the communion rails that were in Western churches. There was in the Western church until recently, although some churches still preserve it, that separation between the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary, and the nave. And that separation of the Western church was the communion rail, oftentimes very elegantly done. It was not as high as the icon screen in Eastern churches, which goes all the way to the ceiling. But nonetheless, it served the same purpose, and it did have some doors on it. But those doors worked completely the inside. Nobody ever went past the communion rail. People received communion by going up to that rail and kneeling down and kneeling against it. And the priest on the other side of the rail came up and down along the communion rail and distributed Holy Communion. So it's the same thing with borders for a nation, not just America, but any nation. You have a boundary, you have a wall, but it has doors on it controlled by that nation, not anyone else. In other words, there's no barging into a nation. You have to come in the proper way. And this is not about keeping anybody out. Well, it is in a sense. Nations do have to keep certain people out. It's to protect the people inside the nation, even immigrants. Immigrants who come legally into a nation, they deserve to have their rights protected too from those who want to come in illegally or maybe because they're up to no good. So it is right and proper for a nation to have Healthy borders, just as it's proper and right and good for human beings to have healthy borders for themselves. And there it is, lived out in the liturgy of the church, an answer to a hot political issue that we don't seem to be able to resolve in our country. So we fight about it and we have problems about it and call each other names about it and so on. And there it is in the church, east or west, pick your choice, certainly in the east with the icon screen. Another characteristic that is relevant to today is I'm going to call it the sense of community. The Eastern churches by nature are very, very small. You can have liturgies on a Sunday, the Sunday liturgy, you know, the day, the Sunday in a parish, and you can have 15, 20, 30 people in a parish in an Eastern church. And that's not for everyone. It's, many of them are, have greater numbers than that, but there's never a huge amount. Eastern Catholic churches, by nature, are smaller. Some may get up to a few hundred families, but you're not going to find an Eastern Catholic church, at least not in America, with thousands of families like you will in the Latin Rite. For instance, some of the suburban parishes will have as many as 5,000. There's even one church out here where I am in the Chicago area that has 10,000 families, 10,000 families. You're not going to get that in Eastern Catholic churches. that's I mean, not a deficit. It's not a criticism of the Western churches. In fact, it points to their genius of being able to evangelize the masses. The Eastern churches, though are characteristically small. so they are very, very easy or very amenable to community. Everybody gets noticed. Everybody gets known in the Eastern Catholic Church. You can't hide and if you try to. Now some people may be a little afraid of that, but at the same time it's a very charitable thing. It's like a family. A lot of people want a sense of belonging, a sense of family. And so the small Eastern Catholic churches, generally tightly knit, are places where people can get a real sense of family. And just like in families, families are close, they live under one roof, and sometimes they can be high impact. Yeah, so sometimes you bump heads a bit, but that comes from being part of a family. In the end, it's a loving, caring community. The last point, and there's many more i could make the last point is the sense of integration you know we're very disintegrated culture right now because we compartmentalize things you know it's expected that you can practice your religion your faith within the four walls of your church but don't bring it out into society when that's precisely where it should go to inform society how to be benevolent and just and fair and good and holy. Well, in the Eastern churches, the art, the architecture, the liturgy, the liturgical texts, the prayers, the gesture, the customs are all intricately interrelated into this integrated whole. So when you come into an Eastern Catholic church and experience the liturgical life, you actually are experiencing integration. Everything, all the parts fit together and they're all dependent on one another. It's not compartmentalized, like we can have any kind of art, any kind of architecture. There's none of that. There's a specific architecture, a specific art to go with a specific kind of prayer, a specific kind of liturgy, a specific kind of gesture, and so on. It's all richly integrated. And that integration, that model of integration, is something that is vitally needed in our world today. There's much more to this, but hopefully this was helpful. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas
0: Loya on Light of the East. We need EWTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important.
1: So should you. Thank you for listening.